Welcome to the Longest Stride podcast. Each week, we bring you engaging conversations with the global running community. We interview community builders and leaders and the incredible runners who inspire us all. We're by runners, for runners. And now, here's your hosts, Jonathan Greenwald and Andre Morgan. Welcome to the Longest Stride podcast. Today, we have on the show a record-holding ultramarathoner that has quickly progressed from a 5K to ultramarathon. At age of 26, she was diagnosed with cancer, and that has only propelled her to go further in running. Her new plan will be to take on the 240 mile in Moab. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Reunited, Jackie. Reunited. Yay! <laughs> For our listeners, um, and even for Dre, we hung out together in, uh, Jackie and I, in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, when uh, we were really, really, really fortunate that uh, at the time, Garmin had invited us to run the Kansas City Marathon. We hung out in person. So not only are we inspired by this, but everything you're doing, I get to say, well, I, I met her, you know, so yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, that was a fun weekend. It was an amazing weekend. Yeah. It was an amazing weekend. It was an interesting, interesting day, interesting race, interesting weekend, but we did have so much fun connecting and everything. So thank you so much for, for joining us. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the other episode that we did with Aristotle. And Aristotle uh, is also an amputee runner and just mind boggling the things that, that he's accomplished. And uh, we'll get it. We want to get into kind of your accomplishments. Trey mentioned the, the 240, which even I can't wrap my head around. Like how you're doing it, just absolutely right. insane. But, and it's in but we'll miles. get to it. It's in and miles. It's, in, it's miles. in miles. Yes. It's not kilometers. Let's just get that right. Yeah. It's miles. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> I, for that, the record, that. I'm already exhausted. I know, right? <laughs> Let's do exactly like we're very predictable here, right? And okay. especially kind of with your story, I think it's important because your trajectory to 240 is a bit different. So why don't we start kind of back with growing up in South Africa, sports, athletics, yeah. like what was that like? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, it, the weird thing is before my amputation, I wasn't really into sports as much. I was, I was a swimmer at school. So I used to do, um, I used to compete at school, but running wise, I was, and I, I tell this to everyone because I was the kid that used to hide in the bathroom when we had any athletics at school. I hated it that much. And I was like, why would you run? I don't want to be running. And I did everything to kind of avoid it. And so it was weird that I decided to do take up running when after my leg being amputated and things like that. It's just, I guess it's kind of something that you get told you can't do and then you want to do it and it just seems like an interesting way to go um and that's kind of yeah I kind of just kind of went into it I kind of just fell into running a little bit and yeah it's yeah it's just weird that I was just never definitely never into it at all but you've had other uh things apart from uh swimming Mm -hmm. you did running just recreationally obviously still do but uh prior to having the amputation you would have ran then before or no no i did i never did no not i did i did no running um and most people are quite surprised with that um and i literally started what running five and a half years ago and that was literally (laughs) That was the first time I actually started running when I put a running blade on my leg and decided, well, let's 
let's give it a try and see what happens. For anyone wondering kind of why Jackie was laughing in the middle of speaking, it's because we're, we shoot a video and I'm just shaking my head how she ran, started running five, five years ago. Okay, let's kind of go through this a little bit. So you were 26 when you were diagnosed. Yeah. And right, and at the time, going through the diagnosis, the decision was made to, to amputate your leg. At that point, you're thinking probably, how am I going to be mobile? What's yeah. walking going to be like and having to go through physiotherapy and stuff like that? I don't want to rush ahead to 240 miles, but <laughs> there's something, and, and you mentioned before someone telling you that you can't do something. Uh-huh. The first thing people would probably tell you is life is maybe going to be a bit different or difficult because you have to figure out how to even move around and be mobile and the prosthetic. So what is even that first phase of your kind of life like? It was challenging. Um, I mean, I'm pretty stubborn <laughs> personality wise. And when it was a weird process, cause I was, everything happened. I'll take a step back with my diagnosis is everything happened really, really quickly. So I went from I had this issue on my leg that I I just had this really sensitive, painful spot on my leg. And I kept going back to the doctor and saying, what is the spot on my leg? And he kept saying, no, nothing. It's it's just because I had surgery there before and they were like, oh, it's just scar tissue. You'll be fine. And I woke up one morning and there was this huge, big lump on my leg. And it looked like this. It was literally the size of a golf ball. That's how big it was. It just had popped out. And I immediately got an appointment. And luckily at the time we were living in Holland and I managed to get an appointment with um, my GP really quickly and went in to see him. And he was like, well, I don't think that's scar tissue anymore. And I kind of was sarcastic. I was like, you think? (laughs) And and so the process from that day just went so quickly. Within a week, I was scheduled for a biopsy. And when I went to the hospital then, um, they were like, right, how it works in Holland is they, um, I'm not sure how the uh, surgeries in the States work, but there it's like they will, they ring you within, if it's good news, they ring you within it three days or four days or whatever, and then you don't have to worry. But if they phone you within the two days, of those four days, then there is something wrong. So of course, they tell you that they're like, well, if we haven't rung you in the four days, then you're fine. But if we kind of if the phone rings, and there's one of us in those in that period, then um, the news is probably not good. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so a great bizarre. way of like, it's so bizarre. I'm like, yeah, now I'm gonna stress for these days. So of course, I was counting the other days, like day one. And it's weird because I was stressed about it, but I was still not thinking about cancer because I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just, I was going through a process and, and I guess part of me was like hoping that it wouldn't be cancer because then, I mean, at that time it was like, now, I mean, everything's progressed so, so much. And at that time I was like, well, cancer is going to be a death sentence. That's going to be it. And it's just like, you kind of, do you have all those thoughts going through your head? So day one, I'm at work, phone doesn't ring. I'm like, yes, I've made it. Day two, my phone rings. And oh, you no. can tell by the number, it's the hospital. And I'm like, oh, great, this is not good. And they tell me to come in, but make sure that I bring someone with me to the appointment, which obviously is not a good thing either. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I took my husband and we walked in and I was given the diagnosis and it was still... At that point, even though I was obviously expecting bad news, it was still a shock to the system. Um, it was something I had in my head that I always hoped that I'd never get. Um, it doesn't prepare you for like 
them telling you that you've got cancer. But I went into denial. So I just said, well, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not, I'm not interested. And I just kind of, I was going back to work. I walked out of the hospital appointment and I just went straight back to the office. I was like, I told my husband, I don't want to know anything about this. I don't care. I just kind of shifted in the back of my head. But then I had to kind of start dealing with it. And we obviously had to start making appointments and things like that to get see a specialist. Well, the hospital had already made an appointment. So I'd seen, I think like two days later, I was scheduled to see a specialist. And Everything was like, I was kind of on a roller coaster because everything was happening so fast and you didn't really have time to think. And we went to the specialist and we I just assumed I'd be going through chemo, um, possibly surgery to remove the lump um, and all that. And walked into his office and he was like, well, you've got Ewing sarcoma. The only solution, and because where the, the tumor was attached to the nerve endings of my foot and basically so... If they removed the lump, I'd lose the use of my foot. Um, and he was like, well, the only solution is amputation. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and it's kind of, I wasn't prepared for that at all. I was like, what? I need to get my leg removed? I'm like, what? And again, I left his, I left the, the consultation there and it was, I was then scheduled in for body scan because they then send you through, you have to go for lung scans full body scans it's like every single test you can do to just make sure that hasn't spread anywhere so you have that that in the back of your head too you're thinking oh my goodness am I has it spread to the rest of my body because with Ewing sarcoma if it spreads weirdly it goes straight to your lungs so that's kind of what they want to try and prevent obviously um and so I had seen him on the I think on the Wednesday or the Thursday I can remember and the following week, I was scheduled in for amputation already. So it was kind of bizarre and so quick. And like, I just had to kind of deal with things um, just really, really quickly. And it kind of probably worked in with my personality because I just, I'm quite stubborn with that and having to deal with the fact then that I've got cancer and then amputation. And then everyone telling you, like you were saying, Jonathan, earlier that, well, now you're going to have to learn to walk and you do realize that you'll probably be, I was actually told you'd probably be in a wheelchair for a very long time. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. This just, this is not going to happen. And luckily the surgeon I had at the time, he had done some, worked with a lot of younger people. And so a lot of his, some of the, the patients he had, had gone on to be Paralympians and things like that. So oh, wow. he had experience with that. So he was very typical Dutch. He was very direct. And he was like, well, you're not going to be laying on your back. You're going to be doing stuff. You're going to get moving. And and he was like very adamant. And so it was a good thing. And it helped because I was just like, I'm just, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. They asked me if I wanted a wheelchair. And I just said, no, I still don't own a wheelchair. I don't own crutches either. Because I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going down that way. <laughs> so yeah, it kind of, it, the whole process just went really quickly. And it was a lot of, yeah, I had to deal with a lot in a very short time. Yeah, we're both like um, taking a pause there because obviously we're we're soaking it up. And I think how vividly you told that story there, even being um, quick, I'm sure you have to you have to tell it uh, quite a bit. So I appreciate you um, letting us know so we are aware. But just 
just as you said, the surgeon just telling you, hey, you're not going to be doing that. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to be doing that. And then that alone just gave you the just that uh, that extra push. I'm sure, as you said, you had to dug deep and, you know, come out of a, a dark place. Yeah. But being able to someone else just telling you, especially the surgeon saying that it's possible to not having to do with that, that goes so much such a long way. And luckily you had it where, all right, he's athletic um, or he's not worked with athletes before. So I think that just, you know, the icing on the cake and it was supposed to happen that way. Exactly. Exactly. I've been very lucky. <laughs> so it's basically a surgeon you can blame for your meteoric rise on the trails. Uh, and, maybe. And yeah, let's do that. We'll just blame him. <laughs> I know. He's, he's going to be at your, your next race. But that, that, yeah. Yeah, so that, that being said. <laughs> Regardless of that, I think it goes to be said that the fact that you still perform, not just, oh, I just run, you've surpassed just doing recreational 5Ks to do ultras, that in its in its own is a feat. Everything else that comes around that is just way too much for us. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, uh, kudos, and I'm impressed by just doing ultras. Not uh, There's Thank only you. a few people that can do ultras. So that's super, super impressive. It's only, for, it's only for the crazy people. Yeah, right? We just <laughs> talked about that. But Jackie, before you ran ultras, you had to learn to run, right? So yes. what was the thought process? And now, I don't, know if, I don't know if it's fully the fact that someone said to you, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to tell you a story, which is not the way to do it, but is did someone tell you you can't do this, 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 so you said, I'm going to do this, this, this? Like, how do you get into running? How do you decide that I am going to go from, I'm not going to take the recommendation that I'm going to be in a wheelchair to, I'm now going to actually run. Because there's a whole, and, and I know everyone speaking on Aristotle, there's the mechanics, everything's completely different. So yeah. you go from not athletic at all to now you don't only run, but you have to learn how to run because the kind of everything is just Mechanic. just works differently right the mechanics everything's differently yeah. walk us through the i'm going to be a runner um stubbornness um <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was the weirdest thing because there's something i didn't think about like i wanted to run and i was like well people said well you can't you're an amputee i'm like well why can't i i didn't understand that because i was like why can't i run surely i can and i kind of I started trying to run on a walking leg, um, on a walking prosthetic. And the thing with a walking prosthetic is they're quite heavy and they don't give you any pushback at all. It's just literally, you kind of feel like you're hitting the ground and you're hitting just rock. It's like really, really hard and it's really painful. Um, and I wasn't getting very far and I was like, oh, this is terrible. I'm not going to be doing this. So it was kind of, it was a hard thing to kind of get into because then I suddenly needed equipment to make myself that I was jealous of other runners that had two legs because now I'm needing something extra to be able to make me run. And I was like, wait, this this is like so bizarre. And I'm like, I just want to run. So I had to go through the whole thing of finding someone to actually make me a running blade. And then it was the whole thing of it, the cost to it. I mean, my first running blade cost ten thousand dollars. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's how expensive they are. My first one, and I was like, and my husband asked me. He was like, 
are you sure you want to do this running thing? And at that time I wasn't a runner and I was like, I want to run. So yeah. it wasn't like I was going to go buy a pair of shoes, running shoes that cost 120 bucks. I'm like, we have to pay like 10 grand. And it was like, okay, well, um, that probably helped the process too a little bit because I was like, I can't exactly go and do a 5k and then hate running because mm -hmm. yeah, we've just spent all this money. But it was, it's funny when what I've learned is with being an amputee is when you lose something, you suddenly want to do everything that everyone else is doing that you kind of something you took for granted, like just walking, just getting out of bed. And it's this basic so example is like getting out of bed at night and going to the bathroom and me having to then get out of bed and go to the bathroom, I have to put a prosthetic leg on um, to kind of, it's just like these basic things that you kind of take for granted and you forget. And running was one of those things, even though I was never athletic, I was like, well, I want to try that. And my husband used to, my, my husband's a runner too. And I was watching him at a, a lot of the races. And my first thought originally was when I used to kind of see them at the races, I'm like, why would anyone want to do that? <laughs> because these people are crazy. They look tired. They look like they're dying. And it's like all this for this, like, and it, and the time, like, I mean, some of the races he was running, he'd like earn this like really tiny medal. And now I'm, I don't run for medals, but I was like, come on. That's it. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> if it. I'm going to do a race, I want to do something for something. And a banana. But yeah, but yeah, there was something, it just seemed whether it was something I was told I couldn't do, but I really wanted to do and prove everyone wrong or whether there's just, there was some connection there. It was like, there must be something more to this running thing because it just, the way people talk about it and it just seemed magical kind of like this whole process. And so we went down the route and we got the prosthetic and paid a lot of money. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, I need to kind of really like that. And luckily my first step on my on my running blade was it was magical because I was like this is just amazing this is it was freedom it just made me feel like I was flying it just made me feel yeah I just forgot everything I forgot that I was an amputee um it just and a lot of people ask me how does it feel to run on a prosthetic I'm like those first few steps I just literally felt like I was flying through the air because I didn't have my walking leg on anymore I was just I was kind of bouncing around and stuff I mean obviously my form was totally off and terrible and but I didn't care <laughs> but Jackie you were doing something that someone told you you probably wouldn't be able to do so exactly that thought alone in your head yeah. it's like I am each bounce I am proving it you wrong so yeah that's part of it but then the fact is you didn't just stop you just kept going and going and going so that's a whole other yeah. Yeah. Let's get into that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, decided to go and go and go further and yeah, test the boundaries. And then, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's been, it's, it's been fun. It's been challenging. It's been, the best part has been watching people go, what you done, did with that? I mean, when I did, when I did Trans Rockies, which is 120 120 miles in Colorado, but it's it's a stage race, so you kind of split the miles up, but it's still at altitude. It's 20,000 feet of climbing on single track trails. Um, it's all challenging. And when I when I signed up for it, a lot of the comments I got was like, when I finished it, they were like, well, we didn't actually think you'd finish it. I'm like, well, great. I'm glad I, I proved you wrong. Yeah. So it's been, it's, 
I think that's part of the reason why I do a lot of these hard races is to show, well, you know what, you can do anything that you put your heart in and your mind to. You can do it, you can achieve it, and you don't have to be held back by a disability or, yeah, because a lot of people, I think, make excuses, daily excuses that they can't, oh, yeah, I can't go out, I can't do this, or I don't have time and things like that. And it's it's good to kind of just show them, well, if you just keep at it and you kind of don't make excuses, you can achieve amazing things. That's well said, because even you've overcome just getting to know how to function in the running blade, but I believe your endurance has a lot to do with it too as well. So yeah. you are like a true runner as well, you know, at heart. It, and it wasn't anything that enhanced your running. It's more so it actually took away from your, your running. But the determination alone is an example. You're like a beacon to anyone else that needed that little bit of motivation. And we appreciate you. So you get to run, you run a 5K. Maybe you get bold, you run a 10K. You run on roads and, you know, that, that has its own, I wouldn't say challenge, but it's a different experience, right? Uh-huh. What is, was it that made you decide to hit, start hitting the trails? Because that comes with a whole other, okay, first of all, I run with two legs and I can barely run uh-huh. the trails. Like I am like incredibly clumsy and I just, I got, I have to be in fully zoned into what's yeah. happening because uh-huh. and, and Dre will tell this all the time when we're running right it's like you always have to be looking down and around because the tiniest thing can throw me off but for you it's amplified like it's magnified like a hundred times so so is this again being stubborn and saying I'm going to do that or did you did you <laughs> or did you love of running then it's like oh if I could do this then I can do that so how did how did you start running trails Um, it's a little bit of, um, I mean, I was, I kind of like, I was hitting a bit of a brick wall with road running because I was like, oh man, this is getting a little bit tedious. And I wanted to kind of mix it up a little bit. And I guess, yeah, it's just the stubbornness, like trying to push boundaries all the time. And I was like, I don't know, I sound like some adrenaline junkie or something because I'm like, I just want the next thing. What's going to (laughs) happen? And I looked into, someone recommended, why don't you try some trail running? And I was like, well, I don't know. Can you run with a prosthetic on trails? I'm like, well, and there aren't many amputees out there that do trail running at all. And there's quite a few reasons for that, obviously. And I'll get into that. I spoke to a few people and everyone's like, oh, no, amputees don't run trails. Because what happens if you fall? And I was like, really? What happens (laughs) if I fall? They're like, yeah, no, prosthetics are made for road. That's it. They're not designed for trail running. And yeah, you definitely, I mean, you're going to, you're going to hit the ground really hard and you might break something. I was like, well, that's a bit of a challenge. Let's see what I can do. And, (laughs) and that's, that's honestly, that's how it started. My first trail run I did, I mean, I was slow. It was, it was pretty scary because obviously I had in my back of my head, like all these voices saying, oh, you're going to fall. You're going to, yeah, you're not, you're not meant to do this. Amputees don't run trails. And I had all this negativity in my head. And I survived my first trail. My blade tread didn't survive at all because it was a five, a short five mile trail run, um, came back and my tread was totally gone. I was like, okay, so I guess that's going to be the next challenge is obviously the tread is made for road running because it's not working on the trail. And I'm like, okay, this is good. Yes, I did. On that first trail, I was amazed. I didn't actually fall. 
a few few other trail runs I have fallen flat on my face, um, which has been fine. I got up, dusted myself off. No one saw me, so I was fine. <laughs> and it's it's been it's been a process learning just because the blade, the way the blade's designed is kind of it curves up. And obviously that's to give you the flexibility and the bounce a little bit that you get on road running. But on the trails, it's a difference because if, especially when I was running in North Carolina is there are so many routes um, that you kind of have to watch out. So I had to learn how to lift my blade a little bit higher than my actual foot because the blade would kind of catch under the roots and that would kind of send me flying. So I had to kind of just, it was a different way of running um, that I had to learn. So that was a process in itself. And then the other process was obviously the tread because the tread wasn't designed for trails at all. And so I had to kind of be flexible and creative with what I was kind of running on the trails with and things like that. But as I've gone along and kind of worked on the process, it's been it's been fun, and I've now got a different prosthetic, which again has cost me loads of money, <laughs> but that's a different story. And 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 it's fun. It's kind of with this one, it's got a split toe, so it kind of you move over the rocks a little bit, so you glide. So it kind of gives you that little bit more of a where you would because I don't have an ankle. And what I was finding with the first prosthetic I ran with was because I don't have that ankle when you hit a rock it twists but so instead of your ankle moving and kind of balancing you your prosthetic is twisting and that means my stump is twisting so I kind of was feeling like my stump my leg was twisting the whole time and it hurt so badly it was like it kind of got to a point where it got really painful so I had to research and see what I could do um, and make it better and things like that so now I've got so it's been fun. It's been a, a good process and I've helped other amputees to kind of use the same prosthetics and look at things and get out on the trails because it's not that scary. It's so much fun. And yeah, you're kind of, I, I always tell to everyone, I'm like, you're missing out if you don't do some trail running. I love where you have your own research and development. <laughs> it's, it's literally <laughs> its own like trial and error and doing it in a race yeah but i I love all uh the fact that you've gone into detail about it and i I think uh we're we're listening to it as a story and even i'm here like using my fingers to try to figure out how the treads are (laughs) and i think ultimately that that alone because i'm like oh going up what's that like you know what i mean uh because you got elevation and you got downhills that a lot of people don't like going down so even techniques like that that you probably perfected to your uh standards but no one has thought of that. That's a whole thing that you're passing on to anyone else that wants to take it on. Yeah, and I hope, yeah, because that, that is like a big, big thing for me is that I, I hope with me being so open about everything is that it will definitely help others that they would kind of go out and like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can actually do that. This is amazing. I can do this. And yeah, it just, it, it just, because life, life's there to live it. And it's just part of the fun being out there. And yeah. Have you seen an, an evolution in blades for trails? Do you see an opportunity to, to look at manufacturers to talk about these things? It's a hard one because the blades are so expensive. A lot of their focus is mostly road running, um, just because that's where if an amputee is going to start running, that's kind of where they are at. Um, So there's such a small market for trail running. But 
it is, I'm hoping that with, there's a lot more trail runners that are coming out now, like a lot of more amputee trail runners kind of coming out and starting to run trails and being a little bit more confident that I'm hoping that the development will get better for that. It's just, I mean, it's just simple things like the tread. Um, I mean, they de- they definitely, they are working on it and it is definitely getting better. So it's going to be exciting times. It's really exciting. Yeah, at this point, it's like you're pioneering something that don't exist, you know, regardless of yeah. other runners that have tried trails themselves, but to even have the conversation that far where you've thought of what could work better for you and sharing that knowledge is like literally making history. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about some records first. I don't even know which <laughs> came too first many, right? because I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you the one that I do remember. Because it was one of the first ones, and, and forgive me if you broke other records before this one, but the 100 kilometers on a treadmill. Uh, 100 miles on a treadmill. Not please 100 accept, kilometers. 100 miles. Please Come accept on. my sincere <laughs> condolences. 100 <laughs> miles. Can I say freaking? Uh, 100, 100 miles. Freaking and, uh, miles. <laughs> and uh, way more, right? Eh? Okay, first of all, I hope that you got a badge fault. for that. Yeah, I hope you got the badge. But where? Yes. Where? Where? How, why? How? What? Please tell us. Well, the story behind that was I was supposed to do 100 miles uh, in Umstead. It's like one of our local, when I was living in North Carolina, it was one of our local races. And it was kind of something I'd always, when I did the race the year before, the 50 miler, when I crossed that finish line, I was like, I'm coming back for the 100. That's it. I want to do the 100. Um, no questions about it. And then obviously COVID hit and all the races got canceled and I was like oh man I'm really bummed and I'm like I really want to do 100 and then there was a virtual race that I thought oh well I'll sign up for the 100 um and I hadn't thought of what how I was going to do this 100 and originally the plan was I was either going to do a track run so go around my track and do until I get 100 miles or I was going to run around the neighborhood and our neighborhood at the time because everything had gone into lockdown it was really going to be hard to kind of avoid anyone. And it was like, I mean, COVID was just new and it was just, it's like, what do you do? What's the right thing to do? And things like that. And then I did some research and I was like, well, no one's ever done a hundred miles on a treadmill um, as an amputee. And I was like, well, that might be something I could do. And again, I, I don't, I don't tend to think I kind of just do. (laughs) It's just like, Oh yeah, why not? Let's just try it. Let's see what happens. And, I didn't think of like, like a few people reached out. They were like, well, is your treadmill going to last the whole hundred miles? Cause I was like, and I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, in, in, in the gyms, they always shut, shut down after three hours. And I was like, Oh, I didn't think of that. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, we, we've got this like old treadmill that we've had, like my husband, like my husband was using it and things like that. And it was like, eh, it's, it's, it was one of those cheap Nordic track treadmills we bought. So it wasn't like the best top of the range treadmill. And I was like, Oh, well, we'll see what happens. So now of course, I'm planning this hundred miles and I'm like, well, I hope my treadmill lasts. I don't know. Is it? And then a few people are like, well, do you think your motor's not going to burn out? Like a hundred miles. It's like, it's a long time. Was anyone concerned about you at all? It sounds like they're really concerned about the treadmill. No, no. Everyone was like concerned about like the mechanics of it all. And like, I was like, what? Is your treadmill going to be okay? (laughs) But, but, 
I have to I have to give Nordic Track some credit because one of my close friends he he has contacts with Nordic Track and they reached out and they were like, well, we that model we've actually and they went and researched the model that I have to check if it actually shuts down after three hours and they're like, no, you should be fine. We we think you'll be okay because it's it's kind of all the, the the newer models that kind of shuts down and things. So we were like, okay, fine. So and that's how I did it. And and even like my fueling, everything is just very much. I'm like, well, we'll see, we'll test it out because this was going to be my first hundred. So I was like, I don't know, we'll just wing it, kind of thing, and just I I guess maybe maybe that's a good thing because I don't overthink a lot of the things I just do it and I just go for it and see what happens and that's how I did it um I wouldn't a few people have asked would you do it again I probably wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it (laughs) if I'm totally honest it was hard it was it was I think it was the hardest mental thing I've ever done um it was physically it was fine it was more mental just because you're not you're not actually going anywhere you kind of it's that same and it's the same movement and at one point I think it was like just after mile 60 um that's kind of where I was starting to hit the wall and things and I literally I fell asleep at one point because it was just this like I was like it was just like this continuous movement and I was like luckily my treadmill's got bars and I kind of pushed like next I was like oh that's not good oh man (laughs) So it's just, it's just so bizarre. But yeah, I survived. I did it. And yeah. I'm picturing it as if you're, you're literally running, maybe just looking at a wall, but I couldn't even do 10K without being bored on a treadmill. But as I said, mentally. The the funniest thing is because the longest I'd ever run on a treadmill was 10 miles. And that was like, I was done. I was like, I'm never doing this again. So for me to go and say, oh, I'm going to do a hundred. I'm like, what was I thinking? That's awesome. And did you have any other props around you? Luckily, I had a TV. Um, so that was quite handy. Um, a lot of reruns on Netflix, which was quite handy. Um, and my husband was in in the room to kind of cheer me on and things. My kids, my kids were like every now and then came in to check on me and stuff like that. But yeah, so I had, oh, I did actually have some friends come past um, and wave to me just because it was COVID at the time. Um, they were on my porch and looked through at the window and they were like cheering me on. So that was fun. She had Nordic track on speed dial. And- <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, um, you had to get the technical notes uh, on it before even attempting it. But it, yeah, just hard. That takes grit because even to run a hundred miler, even if you're going outside and it's a destination, it's most beautiful scene, still just running that. You could have support, you could have baby it's even loops are hard. So imagine a treadmill. So again, you stated that it is super hard and I, I that just takes true, true, true grit. And as you mentioned that the fact that the actual sound is just over and over, that's when you fell asleep. So I can imagine too, you know, the blades making a contact and each time it's just the same exact um, pace, you know however that pace was. And and the problem with the blade too is that on the treadmill, it's really hard to run with a blade on the treadmill because everyone thinks, oh yeah, that must be quite easy. But it's not because you also have to, I can't go to the front because it kind of hits the, the, the front thing. like yeah. end, like yeah, on the plastic thing. So it kind of sometimes gets and stuck there a little bit. So you have to be careful <laughs> with that. And then I sometimes I've like flown off the back 
And it's just like, you kind of have to, I guess that kind of helped keeping me a bit of awake and like aware of what I was doing. But you don't want to have any restrictions. That's too much. That's extra. (laughs) Wow. That's extra. (laughs) It keeps it interesting. That because you're constrained again. I don't even know how many more there are, but let's talk about kind of the latest thing that's happening. So Moab 240. I don't really know a lot about that race. And maybe you can kind of walk us through the process of even getting into that race. What is that even like? I mean, to kind of get into the race, you kind of have to have done 100 miles before and it's you have to be really quick with registration because it sells out surprisingly. I was surprised. Moab, I think this year, sold out within um, a few hours. And so there's quite a few crazy people um, wanting to run 240 miles. They kind of, they were a little bit more lenient with the getting into it this year than what they normally are over the years because you kind of have to do some trail work too which means that you have to volunteer out on the trails and kind of go and do some trail um clean up the trails and stuff like that but they've dropped that for this year just because of the whole COVID thing they're not doing that and so yeah so now we're here um I mean I had watched Moab last year Moab was the only race that actually did go ahead the Moab 240 while one of the race one of the very few races actually went ahead and I remember watching it kind of I was watching various people on on Instagram and just a few of the live streams and I was just so excited watching these people just doing something so amazing and just it was just so much grit and just, I was in awe. And I, I remember telling my husband, I was like, I want to do this race. Um, I'd love to do it. And he was like, he just looked at me, this um, kind of rolled his eyes at me again, thinking, oh, here we go again. Yeah, she's got something crazy. Luckily, a runner. <laughs> uh, and I kind of put it at the back of my head. And then registration opened up and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Let's just see. I'm just going to register. And that's kind of how I ended up registering. And then... I I typically did the thing of I registered for it, then broke the news to my husband and then thought, oh, what have I done? Now I have to run this race. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now he's got to support. Now he's going to be my crew. Moab is, I mean, the location of the race is absolutely amazing. It is brutal, but it's, it's just, you get how many hours? I can't remember how many hours you get, but it's kind of, it works out to about four days. You have like continuous running for four days with the 240. So it, it works at about 60 miles a day that you have to cover. But for anyone that's never done anything like this, it's, you have to factor in your sleeping, you have to factor in your eating. So if you break that down that way, it's not, you don't have a lot of time to fit in those miles to get yourself to the finish line so it will be it's gonna be it's gonna be challenging it's gonna be an experience and i'm i'm really excited yeah it's a uh, 112 hours is a cutoff but let me ask you a question about cutoffs are you treated like every runner out there jackie like you have to finish it in 112 hours whether or not you're an amputee or i do wow yes wow. yes yeah, I've done, um, I even, I did a massive mountain race, was it two years ago? It wasn't last year, it was the year before. Yeah, I kind of, I've forgotten where we are because so many races were cancelled last year. So I was like, oh no, it was the year before. And I remember still, like, I hit, like, the cutoff. I literally came in and it was, it was a brutal, it's one of the, the hardest races out in North Carolina to do is literally, I mean, you're just climbing on single tracks going up a mountain. It's just insane. And I literally made the cutoff with like 
a few minutes to spare and I was like, I made it. And I'm like, you're not giving me any credit for being an amputee. Come on. <laughs> and no, I just, I get treated, which is good. I'd rather have it that way. I want to be treated like any other runner because I'm a big voice about that. And I'm just like, I'm here to show that you can do it on a prosthetic. So I want to be like everyone else and give me the right, the same cutoffs and things. So it's going to be challenging because there's a lot more factors going in for me going into Mohab. Just prosthetic wise, I'll be having to, there's things like you have to think of, I wear liner socks that help against sweating because that's massive issue that you have when you're running with a prosthetic. Because can you imagine your skin in the socket all day it's kind of, it, it creates such a vacuum that your skin just literally, if you don't look after it, your skin gets pulled off because of all the sweat that kind of, it just pulls in it. It's kind of like chafing, but like on a bigger scale type of thing. So there's kind of things like that. I have to factor into my time because I'm going to have to be changing socks and blades and yeah, I'm going to be swapping legs out. So that kind of, you kind of wish I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I could get a few extra times, but I can't. No, I just, I have to go with what I'm given. Yeah. Cause you've finished race that other individuals that couldn't finish, you know, so it still should go to show that it's a true talent regardless of, you know, prosthetics or not. Aristotle, I did stick with me. It mentions that wearing one is like, I feel like you're walking in like a tub of ice cream because it's so squishy. That that was his yeah. uh, way of analyzing it for me. So, I, and, and again, that's a new layer of thinking that I wouldn't have thought of that, you know, we have chafing in different parts, but just the fact that you can't just run in the blade forever and not even changing it, you know, the stuff like that. So the things we're worried about is that amplified. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, just it's it's just you kind of you kind of live with it. Um it's just things you have to think about and you have to work it into your timings. Um it just make sure you're kind of getting those worked in because that that could end up me not finishing the race if I haven't worked that fact those kind of swap outs into the racing. We can't wait to see uh see what you do. It's in October. It's exciting. We can't wait. I'm excited. Let's just hope I don't die out on the course. <laughs> You'll be fine. It's a good thing it's October because no. Moab is hot. It's like terrible. It is. It should be, I think during the day it gets to about 80. So it's, it's going to be okay. It's just, I mean, the, obviously when you're running, there's no shade in the Moab. So you're just running in full sun, but at nighttime it gets pretty cold. So that's the other challenge is you're going to have to, I'm going to have to be changing clothes all the time and adding layers, taking layers off and stuff like that, just because the temperatures change so much. Um, I think two years ago, they actually had snow at the top part of the, of the course which is the toughest part of the course because the last the last part the last like 40 miles is literally is where a majority of the elevation is that so you're kind of climbing up a mountain so and that that two years ago they had like full snow so it it changes so much but it's gonna <laughs> yeah, be amazing right? that to scare yourself because <laughs> you're gonna do it anyways you already signed up <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And I love all uh, the steward part of it come back together because we have Squamish here. Squamish allows you to uh, get first dibs on entry as well. Squamish 50 in BC. And if you volunteer the year before and help out, you would have entry or uh, early entry into the race itself. That's but cool. uh, I didn't know Mohab required it. Um, if you volunteer, you get a better chance of cleaning up the routes. Um, but yeah, trail races are all about like protecting our ecosystem because that's the same exact exactly. thing we want to enjoy yeah 
Jackie, I want to talk a little bit about inspiration. You mentioned earlier about when you talk to other uh, runners and stuff, the amputees. I have to imagine with everything you're sharing and doing on Instagram and you have a pretty uh, pretty big following, you're probably getting a lot of amputee runners that reach out with a lot of questions and stuff. What are you hearing from other runners that are looking to get into, not even trail running, just running? Like, what are you hearing out there? Um, I mean, for amputees, it's more like where they're doing research, asking for different, what blades are you running in? Who who do you see? Who who makes your prosthetics? It's kind of all those practical questions, which is great. Um, and, and luckily I've run in different prosthetics. So I've got experience with different brands because there are, there's, there's a few companies that do them and they're all very, very different. So I always say as like a pair of running shoes, not every blade, not every foot is going to be the foot you love. They're all very, very different. And I've tried different ones and I'm like, yeah, no, that, that one doesn't work for me. So it's a bizarre thing. And it's the only way I can explain it is literally like a pair of running shoes. Not each brand works for every single person. So you have a style that you like, and that's how it works with prosthetics. It's not just one, one model fits everyone. So it's good. It's part of the experience that I can kind of give them my advice and I always try to be really honest and I'm like, I don't hide anything. I'm like, you know what? This is how it is. That's what I do. This is what works. That didn't work for me, but it, I've heard it's worked for other amputees. So give it a try. Um, so it's great that people reach out and ask questions. And yeah, I just try and help where I can. Yeah, there's so much more to it because even just like having wide feet, and when we're talking about just shoes and that's just one dimension, we're talking about foam yeah. and that's it <laughs> and the colorway, you know, but to have something um, done custom, it has almost function with the entire body, you know, uh, based on the height of it. And I'm, most of this stuff, I'm just assuming I would want one that's taller just because, you know, I want to be 5'11". <laughs> you know it, it look weird, but I'll be like, yo, you know, you know what you have to do. I'll be like, do it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're like, all on yes, Yeah, they won't I'll be Michael Jordan after this. But um, just being able to have that custom feel. And then the fact you just feeling like, yo, this is not for me. But to go down that road, it's expensive. So you must have to like really dial it in. And it's carbon fiber on most, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that, and that's the other issue is the cost. Um, and that's one of the other questions I get a lot is because a lot of um, insurances won't cover it. And a lot of, I mean, it's, it's such an expensive thing to get into. You're lucky if your insurance does cover quite a big part of it um and and that's why i feel very fortunate that i am able to run um and there are a lot of amputees that don't get the opportunity because they just simply it's a cost issue so that's the other thing is that i advise because there's quite a few charities out there now that are helping amputees get prosthetics so i have like a whole list and i can well have a look at all these these kind of give grants have a look and see maybe there's a good fit there and things like that. So it's, it's being a source of information for other amputees that can hopefully help and get more amputees out there running and moving. Yeah, and untapped potential, that's probably there. And it's only because they have access. So who, who inspires you, Jackie? Oh, who inspires me? I've got like... <laughs> One of the, I don't know if you know her, Camilla Heron, um, who's one of the top ultra runners. I mean, she's she's kind of been massive inspiration of what she does. Um, I'm always like, oh my goodness. And there's, I mean, there's also Courtney 
who's just totally insane, who's done a few few of the, she's done Moab, she's done a few 200s. Um, I mean, she's just, what she's done for women in the sport is just incredible because, especially in ultra running, because it was just one of those things where women weren't really getting their recognition in ultra running and she's just kind of amplified it for us and it's just, she's just incredible. So yeah, there's, yeah. Yeah, Courtney kills it. <laughs> It's like beats the guys, yeah, make him look bad, <laughs> wins. Like It's just, it's kind of one of those. And she's just very down to earth and just, yeah, she's just true to the sport and she just loves what she does and stuff. And yeah, it's just, I, I want to be like that when I grow up. But you have day. to get that tall shorts, the basketball shorts that she wears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need to That's get, yeah, wears, I need to change my whole look. Yeah, she wears like this, it just, she just comes up and run and do so well. I'll send you a doc, JG, in like a YouTube doc. It's so good. I made me wanted to like do ultras that already do ultra, but what she does, it's just this example of just someone that just purely just wants to run. And as you said, she's down to her. It felt from her interview interviews. That's, she wants to do. that's what I sense. And and she was does she still teach? I can't remember. She actually she's she's she was a teacher. I'm not sure, but I know after watching uh, the little doc of her, she was doing well enough to like Solomon would have uh, Solomon take her on. But yeah, I don't think she had anymore. But it's it'd be it's a good question to ask. But I know she just did that, and her husband just like sorts her out and full time job. <laughs> yeah, 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 he does. Okay, yeah. Hey, Lee, <laughs> we're talking about her. You're an example of trailblazer literally you know every pun in that word and everything oh, that you. comes uh surrounding it so i uh, hold you to that level of recognition as well irregardless you know because oh, thank you. you're like thank you. you are in a league of your own so really appreciate you it's true thank yeah you. and i'll just again going back to the top of the show we'll talk about how we connected and uh, even like walking around Kansas City a little bit and talking with you and just walking me through. You're educating me on like blades and everything like that because I just thought it was so incredibly fascinating. And, and also we didn't talk about it kind of much in this interview, but just how you're handling your running career and everything and also your humor that you bring into it um, and, and how you share publicly yeah. and, and all this stuff. This isn't a what was me story. This is a what you can do like like everything you can accomplish so yeah. yeah it's it's yeah it's it's truly truly remarkable and you're a remarkable person so it's funny you talk about all these people jackie oh, about you. inspiring there are so many people right now that look at you as as an inspiration and Aww. not because of anything other than you're like this incredible runner and imagine you know years ago when you were 26 before you were 26 thinking Ugh, running like <laughs> really and now it's yeah, like no. so much of who you are <laughs> and, and what you do to inspire people so it's truly amazing to, to have this conversation with you it's really great to connect with you again jackie and, oh, thank you uh, yeah we're just grateful for you yeah thank you. yeah it's, it's lovely been, talking it's been to a you real guys. treat so thank you so much for for this thank you thank you for having me on yeah it's been it's been great talking to both of you and with that being said this is the longest ride podcast peace, peace.